Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. We're, we're looking at an example of Elijah and Elisha and this incredible picture of pursuing the presence of God. So let's, let's go to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 as, as we begin our study today. Keep your, keep your phone and your device open and, uh, your Bible open. We're gonna be, we're gonna be following a journey here. And so we're gonna need to stay right here in the Word as we go. <clears throat> so here we are. And, 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 and what are we finding? When you pursue God's presence, okay, you receive the anointing for your assignment. I want you to look the person next to you and tell them you have an assignment. Tell them that you have an assignment. Do you know everybody has a God-given assignment? Did you know that? Did you know that? Do you know if you're 95, you still have an assignment? Do you know if you've been saved one day, you have an assignment? Come okay, on, let me help you with this. Do you know if you're a lost heathen, you have an assignment? You just haven't found it yet. How many heard what I just said? Okay, so it's one thing to know I have an assignment, but I need the anointing to fulfill the assignment. So that's what pursuing the presence of God does. It allows you to understand I have an assignment from God. But I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that assignment. You got me? It, it, pursuing the presence of God means I need power to fulfill my purpose. I have purpose. But God will never give me purpose that could be accomplished without Him. See, so when my, with my purpose comes a need for the power of God. And that's what we're looking at today. So here we are. <clears throat> Pardon me. Boy, I just got a little throat stuff going. I preached a men's conference this weekend. <laughs> in Louisville, Kentucky. So, but I'm ready to preach to Calvary today. Come on, somebody pray me through this thing today, all right? So 1 Kings 19 and verse 19. Uh, the Bible, you got to see this. The Bible is the world's greatest collection of understatements. Did you hear what I just said? Of understatement. There's so much below the surface. If you just jump in and read the parts you have highlighted, you're going to miss a lot studying your Bible. So watch this. So Elijah went from there. Where was there? Where's he coming from? Remember Elijah had just prayed fire down on Mount Carmel and, and, and brought awakening to the nation of Israel, but immediately wicked Queen Jezebel. Now, if you're an old-fashioned Pentecostal Christian, you've heard that term Jezebel, haven't you? Come on, how many ever heard somebody talk about a woman and call her Jezebel and it wasn't flattery? Some of you hadn't been saved long enough. You're not old enough to know some of that church language. But if you're ever in church, if some of you newbies, let me help you out. And, and you hear somebody, look at somebody say, look at that Jezebel. Well, that wasn't a compliment, all right? So we don't do that around here though, right? So, so Jezebel, this wicked queen... When she heard that Elijah had prayed revival down in the nation of Israel and the false prophets were slaughtered, she said, I'll not rest till I do to you the same thing you did to them. And this man, this prophet, who called fire down from heaven, was horrified at her threat and ran off in the desert. Not only did he run into the desert, he crawled up under a tree and said, God, I've had enough, just kill me. So... God takes him through a process. I don't have time. Uh, and, and here he is. So when we read 
Elijah went from there. <laughs> there was quite a story. But here's what I want to say to you today. This is why I took a moment there. Because Elijah, listen to me closely. I believe there's someone here today dealing with this. Elijah was trying to write the last chapter of his life. And God wasn't through with him yet. Elijah crawled under a tree and said, I give up and it's over. And God said, you're just getting started. So I want to give you a word from the Lord today. Somebody in this room, somebody online needs to hear me right now. You've been trying to write the last chapter of your life. Are you listening to me? You've been trying to give up. And I'm here to tell you today, you need to put your pen down. You need to stop writing the last chapter of your life because God says the glory of the latter house is going to succeed that of the former. And God's not through with you yet. If you'll pursue some power, you're going to find that you're not done yet. So Elijah comes from what he thought was the last chapter and he steps into what is going to be the next chapter in the whole nation of Israel. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shephat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak I think I've got the new King James up here. Well, you got the NIV. Threw his cloak around him. The, the King James says his mantle. That kind of sounds more prophet-like, doesn't it? I like mantle. So let's use the word mantle. So Elijah comes up and throws his mantle on Elisha. So what happens? Verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. That's pursuit. Come on, say he pursued. I believe we can interject that word and not do damage to the text. And so what happened, Elijah then left his oxen and pursued Elijah. He said, hey, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, and then I'll come with you. Elijah said, I'm all in. I'm all in. He said, I'm going to kiss mom and dad goodbye because I'm gone. God just touched me. Something has radically shifted my life and I'm pursuing. But watch this. This was a theme throughout this. And and I think that Elijah was never trying to talk Elisha out of his call. But I think what he was saying is, son, it's not me you need to follow, but it's what I represent you need to get a hold of. In other words, he was saying, you need to make sure that you're ready to do this. So he says, go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, watch this, and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. He gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to pursue Elijah and became his attendant. There was something about that encounter. Guys, I want to to help you with this. There's that moment that every one of us must have in our lives where we encounter the presence of God and it changes us forever. Where we didn't just say that was nice and we go on. But there was this moment in Elisha's life where the mantle of God's purpose settled on him. Where he was touched with the presence of God. And he said, I've been a farmer, but I'm never farming again. Now, there's nothing wrong with farming. Do you understand? But in other words, he said, this is what I've been, but this is what God's called me to be. He said, I'm not only going to follow Elijah. I'm going to burn the plow and kill the oxen. I'm going to put the end of it. It's over. It's done. This season of my life is through. This season of my life is over. Are you hearing me today? It doesn't mean you may even change your vocation. 
It doesn't mean that you leave your marriage. It doesn't mean that you have to sell your house. It doesn't mean that you move your neighborhood. It just means that from this day forward, I have encountered the presence of God and the woman I was before today is not the woman I will ever be going forward. Or the man that I was before today is not the man I will be going forward. I have burned the plow. I am pursuing the purpose of God in my life. Are you with me? So this encounter happened. It was amazing. It, it, it was, I, I want to share a couple of things at this point uh, that I think are important, okay? I, sometimes we get so super spiritual that we miss the real things God's doing in our life. Do you know what I mean when I say super spiritual? You know those people that are always talking about praying, but they never pray? You know the people that always bring your prophetic word after it happened? You know the people, I, I, you know, can I just help you because I love you and want you to love me, so don't do this to me. You know, I, I, I hate it when somebody comes to me after it already happened, said, I knew that was going to happen. Well, what good did that do? If you were a prophet, tell me before it happened. You know what I'm saying. That person is so spiritual. Oh, they're spiritual. Ooh, they're spiritual. But they never come up here and help us mop the floor, stack the chairs, build a building. Pray at lunch. Anyway, you understand what I'm saying. So, so there's something I need to say. I know there are no people like that here. But this is for the people you know that act like that. But I want to take a moment and pause. I'm having too much fun. I need to stick to my knitting here. It's, it's going fast. So here's what we're doing. I don't think it's a coincidence. Please notice this. That Elijah found Elisha doing what he was doing. I love what Sam Rodriguez said in his book. He said, we must be willing to push the plow before we receive the mantle of God's anointing. You got me? The guy that won't push the plow is probably not going to be chosen by God to carry the mantle. See, are are you with me? The person that can't do what they can with what they have where they are will probably not be asked to do something they've never done where they've never been. I want to say that again. The person that's not doing what they can with what they have where they are will probably never be asked by God to go do something they've never done at a place they've never been. And so if I'm willing to push the plow, I'm qualifying myself to receive the mantle that God will put on me. Come on. So why does God choose those that are plowing? Why does God choose those that are engaged and connected in the moment they have? That they're making the most of the season they're in. That they're not living their life for someday, waiting for something to happen. You know, the guy that's called in the ministry, but he won't go preach in the street corner or the nursing home because he's waiting. He's disappointed that when Billy Graham died, they did call him to step up. So what happens? God chooses those that are plowing. Why? Because they are what? Developing their faith. They are preparing themselves in the season. See, listen to me, some folks in this house. You may not be the most talented person in the world. You may not be the most educated person in North Alabama. You may not be the most well-known or recognized person in North Alabama. But you can be the most faithful person in North Alabama. And you can be the most loyal person in North Alabama. Come on. And you can become the most determined pursuer. What was happening in that moment? Don't miss this. It was the transfer of the anointing, of the calling, of the kingdom from one generation to the next. There will never be the continuation of revival until one generation learns how to pass what they have to the next generation that's following them. 
He found a guy plowing. He found a young man representing the next generation. That's why I'm praying over soil on Sunday morning. That's why we're taking time to pass this mantle on. But here's what I want to say to you. We've got to be ready. When that moment of anointing finds you, are you listening? You have to be willing to let go of that plow. See, a lot of people say, oh, I want the mantle. But I find there's other folks that when the moment comes to step to your new season, you become so familiar with the present one that you're not willing to let go and move on to what God has for you. Pursuing is kind of like that. Pursuing is saying, God, <clears throat> I want you in my life. I want a new relationship with you. I'm not satisfied with where I've been and what I'm doing and how I'm living. Anybody tracking with me right now? Anybody getting this? And, and, and there's that time where you say, Lord, you've been good to me and I'm thankful and I love you. See, somewhere we've got to get past just trying to be good and we've got to allow God to do some great things in our life. Somewhere we have to begin to understand that the Christian journey is not living every day on the fence trying to teeter between bad and good, but is pursuing God where we go from good to great. And so there are going to be moments where what's become known and comfortable and familiar to us. We have to be willing to let go of that so that we can step into the next season that God has. When the mantle hits your shoulder, you have to be willing to take your hand off that plow and move to that next place. So let's watch what happens. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings 2. Watch the pursuit. Evidently, I think this is interesting that although the mantle touched him in 1 Kings 19, it did not remain with him. Because what we're going to see here in these just next few minutes is that that mantle had still not been transferred to him permanently. There was this initial encounter. Can you relate to that season in your life that was... Uh, there was an initial experience that captivated Elisha, but it wasn't everything God had for him. We, we oftentimes think with, you know, how wonderful it was when we got saved. What a wonderful day. We have a testimony. But have you noticed the longer we serve the Lord, the more dated our testimony becomes? Everybody with me? In other words, when you give in your testimony, somebody said, I'm not going to do it, but if I walked off here and grabbed you and gave, gave you my mic and said, testify, tell me what, to give me your testimony. For too many of us, it's 20 years old. You got me? For too many of us, it's five years old. What am I saying? Well, the last time we can remember we had a God encounter was five years ago. What happens to us, we're trying to live off the fumes of a 20-year-old fire. Our testimony is too dated. The glory, we, 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 think the, we think the glory of God is faded. It's not that the glory of God is faded. It's that we stop pursuing Him. We've had an initial experience. We've been touched by the mantle. We've been encountered the presence of God. We've known the goodness of His presence. He touched us. He gripped us. He changed the trajectory of our life. But what's important is that we keep moving in that direction. And so there was this mantle that Elijah placed upon Elisha, but it did not remain with him yet. There was some pursuing that had to go on. And so we, we find ourselves here in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. 
I, I'm, I'm looking at my time and I'm editing as I go here, okay? Um, so here's this account. Elisha's been following Elijah. He's been pursuing. He did what he said he would do. He's been a servant, an attendant, just serving him, just taking care of just common, ordinary needs of the prophet, of the man of God. But he knows there's a day coming. He's been touched. He's been prophesied over there. His season's coming, so he's pursuing faithfully. And so now he knows that time's at hand. He recognizes this isn't just any day. It's a Kairos moment. It's a God appointment. It's the intersection of the will of God in my life. See, I believe that that this week is that for Calvary. I believe that, can I tell you something? My faith is that this week is a Kairos moment for me as your pastor. I'm hungry for what God's going to do. I've got some things I'm pursuing for. Anybody in this room? Listen, I've got some things in front of my face. You know, I told you a few weeks ago, and, and, and they kind of quoted me and, and teased me about it, but I talked about that, that term they use in sports. I bet I've read it 30 times since I said that, about how uh, somebody's a dog. You ever heard somebody call somebody a dog? Not a dirty dog. You ever heard that in the sports world? Any of you athletes ever heard that? You talk about my teammates. Say, He's a dog. I heard him say, I want a dog on my team. So I got all excited about that. And I said, your grandma's a dog. And then everybody quoted me on that and said. But you know what I was saying. I was complimenting grandma. I said, your grandma's a spiritual dog. What does that mean? I said, look at grandma's Bible. It beat up, torn up. You got that little version phone thing. You had never even highlighted a word in yours yet. Grandma's written, torn, prayed, cried, tears on that. My friend Denny Duran, uh, I hesitate to use this accent, but, you know, don't judge me. I'll do my best. Denny Duran's from Louisiana, and his grandma in heaven today, but his grandma's on a little Cajun women from down south Alabama, south Louisiana, excuse me, and she couldn't read. But she loved Jesus, and she prayed, carried her Bible around. And so one day, he, Denny looked at her Bible and said, man, that thing looks awful. So he bought her a brand-new Bible. He said he came back about six months later, visited his grandma. He said, that Bible was in shambles. He said, Grandma, what happened to your Bible? And she said, child, I may not be able to read that Bible, but I've been beating the devil over the head every day with my Bible. He said, Grandma. Grandma, look at you. That's what I'm talking about. Your grandma's a dog. She got the dog in her. Do you understand what I'm talking about? We need some folks with a dog in them right now in this generation that says, I've been touched, but I'm not through yet. Come on, anybody hear what I'm saying? I've had some power, but I need some more in my life. I felt that mantle one time, but see, it's not mine yet. I want to own that mantle. I've been, it's like that guy, you know, you slipped in and you don't have any money back in the day, but you wanted to be a preacher and they wore those big fine suits back in that day. Now we're all casual. And you didn't have enough money, but that young preacher slipped into the department store. And when nobody was looking around, he took one off the rack, put that heart shaftner marks on it, felt that material and wore it for a minute. But he didn't have any money, had to put it back on the rack and go when he left. But he walked out of there saying, someday I'm going to buy me one of those. (laughs) And I'm going to stand up and preach the gospel someday. And what I'm telling you today, God's not through with you yet. That touch on you is waiting to become yours all the time. 
And so, so watch this. We're in chapter 2, verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elijah were on their way from Gilgal. Now, they're, they're, these spots are like the Mount Rushmore of the history of Israel. Every one of these places, God did something miraculous and compelling. So, so watch this. This is the final push. It's the final pursuit. It's when what started is about to culminate. It's when you realize, have you ever understood that, listen, when it comes to your encounter with God, what got you started is not enough to get you finished. It's not good grammar, but you get the point. What got you started is not enough to get you finished. See, Elisha had a touch, but now he needs a new encounter in his life. So that Gilgal, this thing starts at Gilgal. What's Gilgal? It's the first place Israel camped when they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. After 40 years of wilderness wandering, they moved into Gilgal. And there in Gilgal, they put up camp. They made camp. And, and, and you know what happened to them there? As they walked through that Jordan River that had been parted, watch this. God was reminding them that they came out of Egypt when he parted the Red Sea. And he was telling this generation, just like I was with your daddy, I'm going to be with you today. And they walked over on dry land through this river. And he said, before it closes, go get 12 stones, one for each tribe, and come on this side and build a testimony. So that for the generations, say generations to come, so what's going to happen every time they say to you, daddy... What are those 12 stones? And you're supposed to say, with a mighty hand, the Lord led me out. Let me tell you what my God has done. It's where they were building a monument to the generations to remind them of the power of God. It was also there that the covenant that God had given Abraham which had not been observed during the 40 years of wilderness wandering, that circumcision was again enacted in the males of that nation. Why? Because that was the sign of covenant with God. And they had gone 40 years wandering in the desert out of covenant with God. But when you get ready to move into your promised land and you decide you're not going to be a wanderer but a conqueror when you decide the devil's been on your property long enough when you decide he's been ripping you off and robbing you long enough you'll renew the covenant of God in your life and the word Gilgal means to roll away and God said in the place where you renewed your covenant with me, I have rolled the reproach of Egypt off of you. In other words, the sin of your fathers that caused them not to enter the land that has now tried to pass on to you. Are you listening to me? Our Gilgal is the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you walk through the cross of Jesus and renew the covenant of the blood of Jesus, every sin and curse and generational failure in your family is rolled off of you and you move into a new season in your life. And that's where the journey started. Then we read this. He says, uh, verse 2, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. See, there's always going to be something to tell you, stop pursuing. He said, you're saved, just be satisfied. Okay? He said, uh, but he said, I'm going to go to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, he said, I'm not going to leave you. This was a pursuing boy. You understand what I'm saying? He said, this is good, but I'm going. Let's go. Come on, let's go. So he went down to Bethel. Now look at verse 3. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? They were prophets. They knew it was going to happen. He said, He's going to die. Why are you still following him around? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but don't speak of it. All right? So now they're at Bethel. What's Bethel? Bethel's a place where Jacob, remember? 
fleeing from his brother Esau, trying to get all the blessing by trickery, is now going... Uh, he's fleeing. He's leaving. He, he's, he's going to find his father-in-law Laban and Mary and, and the daughters. And so here he is. And along the way, God met him one night at a place. And he had a dream. And the angels were ascending and descending. And God spoke to him. And he woke up. And he named that Del Bethel, Beth, house, El, God, house of God. And you know what Bethel is? Listen to me. I'll just say this. That's all I got time for. Bethel is the place along the way where God meets you. And says, I know the past has been a struggle, but I'm going to promise and fulfill everything I said to you. And some of you today are along the way. Maybe, Josh, you're trying to wonder what in the world's wrong with the people in Ireland that they can't figure out we need to come be a blessing. And today, maybe it's your Bethel, where God said, Josh, I got you, man. I've seen the struggles you've been in, and I'm just coming along the journey to tell you I'm the God who promised you I'm going to get you there. Now, listen, along the way... You're going to always have some people that you find out are not willing to make the journey with you. Those other prophets said, don't you know he's going to die? He said, I know he's going to die, but I'm going to be there when it happens. You know, some people aren't going to make the journey with you. How many know what I'm talking about? So he keeps going. So the next thing we read, follow this. He says, now he says, uh, verse 4, but Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, well, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm not going to leave you. So they went to Jericho. Now look at verse 5. The company of the prophets of Jericho went to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that your Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but don't speak of it. So he keeps moving. He keeps going. He goes to Jericho. Jericho was the first city they conquered in the New Testament. Jericho is the high walls of the strongholds that intimidate you and say, You're never going to get in this place. You're never going to make any process. You're never going to get to this next station in life. But but Jericho, come on, listen to me today. I wish we had some time to do this. Jericho is a place where when Joshua finally got close, he found a giant man standing there. And he said, hey, are you for us or against us? And he said, boy, I'm not for you or your enemies. I represent the living God. Can I tell you something to I'm, I'm not talking to America today, but I'm talking to enough. Can I tell you something today? We need to start pursuing God and quit asking him, are you a Republican or a Democrat? See, I'm going to either make all of you mad or all of you glad. Either way, I'm okay with this. All right with me. We need to stop trying to decide whose side is God on. Come on. And we need to get on his side. That's what I'm for. You know, somebody said, well, who are you going to vote for? I don't care if they're Republican, Democrat, Flippocrat, Nonocrat, Independentcrat. I could care less. I got to be careful. That word getting close to something else. I said a T every time, right? Some people are full of, never mind. So, so, so I didn't say that. That's the man in the front row said that. I didn't say that. I found myself on that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what I'm trying to say is, who are you going to vote for? I'm going to vote for who's on the side of the Lord. That's what I'm going to vote for. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what your daddy is. I don't care where you've been, where you're from. I don't matter your party. Who's on the side of the Lord? That's who I'm going to vote for. I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote for who's on the Lord's side. Are you with me? Okay. So he goes up, and this is what he hears. This is what, this is what Jericho means. It's this huge wall of intimidation. It's a stronghold that nobody's ever conquered. But what happens, nobody had ever gotten close enough to meet that man standing there. It was the angel of the Lord. 
He said, you need to take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And, and, and he said, and this is what he said, I have delivered the city in your hand. Oh, did you get that? For 40 years, the angel was standing at the door to Jericho, having already delivered the city into the hand of somebody who cared enough to pursue till you got there. Do you know there are victories, listen to me, in your life that you will never encounter until you go further with God than you've ever been before? Do you know you don't even have to win the battle? He said, I've already delivered this thing in your hand. All you have to do is keep pursuing and get to a point where he said, you walk around and then I want you to go ahead and shout. I want you to shout. You know, I, I feel like shouting right now. I don't know about you, but, but, but listen, I want to shout for the generation who are going to follow the 12 stones we built and say, my God is faithful. I want to shout for the people that watch us knock the walls down. I want to shout for somebody who hasn't done it yet in fact i'm going to count to three and shout just because i want to and if you want to join me you can do it too one two three hallelujah yeah thank you lord walls come down hallelujah thank you god thank you god i'm shouting for the generation and then finally look at this come on we got to wrap this up he says i'm not going to leave you Company of the prophet says, hey, you need to stop. Verse 6, then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord sent me to the Jordan. See, see, Elijah's pursuing and pursuing. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not going to leave you. (laughs) Okay? So the two of them walked on. Just two. Everybody else had left them. Only two of them. Okay, they're walking. So look at this. 50 men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. You you know what I've had to discover in my life as a pursuer? I've had to come to grips with some things. That I'm not going to let those people standing at a distance define who I am while I'm pursuing him. Let me say it this way. Those who are not going with you should not try to tell me how to go to a place that they're not willing to go. Come on, say that one more time. (laughs) Those that are not going to go with me don't have the right to tell me how to go to a place that they're not willing to go to. If you're not going with me, move over. I'm going to this thing. If you don't, if you want to stay at a distance, have a good day. But I'm going to stay after this prophet. I've got a mantle. I've been touched by it once. And I'm not going to stop pursuing till I have everything God has for me. And so what happens when you pursue? Here's your reward. Let's look at this. So, verse 7, or I'm pardon, verse 8. Elijah took his cloak, that mantle that had touched Elisha, that started this whole thing. Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and he struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. My, my. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, See, never asking this question on the front end. This is, this is the reward of pursuit. So now he said, okay, the crowd had thinned down. <laughs> and he said, So, son, tell me, what can I do for you? For I'm taken away. And this, this statement, this statement, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, I want you to understand this audacious 
audacious faith. It's ridiculous faith. Elijah was the greatest demonstration of the power of God that Elisha had ever seen. He was his only point of reference to signs, wonders, miracles, power, present. And this young man, prophet, had had such a transformation in his life as he pursued that he reached down deep in his soul, in his faith, and looked at the greatest thing he had ever seen and said, I want twice that. He had never seen any more than that. Do you understand the faith of pursuit? It causes you to say ridiculous things to God, not to people. (laughs) It causes you to pray prayers that when you pray it, you're saying to yourself, what in the world am I doing? You ever prayed one of those prayers? You ever listen to yourself pray in a moment of that anointing and you're praying and you're believing, you're pursuing and you start praying things and, 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 and that's your spirit praying, your mind's going, what is going on here? I mean, you get bold and big and brave. Why? Because you're in the presence of God. Because you've left the distance Christians behind and tell you how to do it, people. And you're just going and you're just going. And you know what happens? The atmosphere gets a little clearer. The spiritual atmosphere gets cleaned out a little bit. Are you listening? And the doubt and the unbelief and the foolishness is back here. And the presence of God's right here. And you begin to say, man, God, you've been good. And Elijah, I've seen you do a lot of things, but I want twice. I want twice of what you have. I I pray for a generation. Come on. Come on. Listen to me. Not in this church. Not in this church are we going to criticize Gen X. Gen Z and millennials, we're not going to sit around on our holier-than-now cushion chairs and act like we've got something nobody else wants and know something nobody else knows. Are you listening to me? I pray to God someday some pastor stands in this pulpit that has twice the anointing I've ever had, twice the wisdom I've ever had, twice the ability I've ever had, twice the reach of this. Anybody understanding what I'm saying? We're raising up a generation that's not less than, that's more than. We believe and we invest in them. We believe that it's what God's going to do. And I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But if he waits a while before he comes back, I'm going to tell you this. Calvary Assembly is going to be alive and well and flourishing and going and preaching and winning. And when Jesus comes back, if I'm here, we'll go together. If I'm already there, I'll welcome you in. But if you're young, you better listen to me. If you don't do more than I did, you're going to have to see me in heaven someday. You better do your thing, sir. Because I'm going to give it to you. So, I want twice. Look at this verse. You've asked a difficult thing. (laughs) Yet, if you see me, when I'm taken from you, it'll be yours. Otherwise not. Verse 11. As they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared. Some of you guys said that, let let me just say to you, I'm more aware of time a lot of days than I am today, but... Bear with me, okay? As as they were walking along together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Watch this. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, tore them apart. It's a sign of mourning. But look at verse 13. He looked and there it was. He picked up the mantle. That had fallen from Elijah. 
The thing he'd been pursuing ever since that day, he was plowing. And there it was. He picked up the cloak, the mantle that had fallen from Elijah, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Come on. You've you, you got to love this. See, he, he had seen it done. He had seen it done. What have your children seen you do? What have those students seen us do? What have your children seen you do? What did he do? It wasn't a theory of the power of God. He had seen the power of God. He, he said, if I get that mantle, I'm going to do what he did times two. So, so watch as he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Watch this. He got it. God, watch this. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Not Elijah, but the God of Elijah. He asked, when he struck the water, divided to the right, to the left, and he crossed over a double portion of anointing on his life. The reward of the pursuer, a double portion, a double portion. Now, let me close with this. Let me close with this. Elijah took nothing to heaven with him. Worship team, come on, join me. Get this. He took nothing to heaven with him. The last thing he had was a mantle, and Elisha got it. It's remarkable. What are we going to leave on this earth? We can't take it with us. Now listen, there, there, I, I, got, I want to get you to see this too. You just grip this. We, we go over and read some more chapters about Elisha's life. It was amazing. It was just incredible. But you remember that when he died, they buried him. And there was this moment when these people were going on a funeral procession. The Amalekite raiders came. They said, we got to get out of here. And they, they threw the dead man in Elisha's tomb. And when they threw him in Elisha's tomb, he came back to life. And we usually preach and shout, look at the power of God on that. But I was thinking about this this last week. We were talking about this in our staff. That really isn't good. Because Elisha died with something still in him. Elijah went to heaven and left everything on his planet. You get what I'm saying? The mantle fell. Elisha raised up. But Elisha died with some stuff left. Elisha should have poured it all out before he died. Calvary, are you with me? We're going to pursue God. We're going to get hold of God. And we're not going to hold on to it. We're going to give it, give it, give it, give it, give it until we've raised a generation that knows the power of God. I don't want to die with my anointing. I want to pass it on to somebody. Anybody in this room right now? I don't want you to die with your faith. I want your children and grandchildren to have your faith. I don't want you to carry heaven into your grave. I want you to put heaven on this earth. I don't want to carry the power of God into my grave. I want to, when, when I get to heaven, I, I want him to say, George, dude, you're empty. I said, good, good. He said, we just kept filling the tank and you kept emptying it. We kept filling the tank and you kept emptying it. When we got you here, you got here on fumes. Good, good. Because we left it invested in. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.